Well, it's that time of year, Christmas, the time of year where uh, we've said that uh, we've heard uh, it's that time where Facebook begins to, sh- to, to have the post, Instagram, and even uh, maybe Twitter, but even like the old style, the, the Christmas brag letters. Everybody's going to be you know, posting about how perfect their family is, how great their lives are going, and everything's just awesome. But the reality, we know the reality. And we post. And uh, I love like this, this graphic this, uh, a church in uh, California gave us. They even left a kid out. I love that because um, sometimes that's, how, that's what happens, right? We even leave our children out of the picture because um, you know, that child, we don't want to leave that one out of the picture or whatever. But it's that time of year and it's like this expectation that everything be perfect and that we have the best life ever. But here's the reality is that we're seeking these things. And so, and, and it's, but the Christmas season just seems to really put it out in front of us and shove it in our face even more to say, your life has to be better. You have to have this perfect Christmas. You're ha-. And so we said that. We said first week is that we should have this best life. And that most of us are trying to chase after or seek this best life. Or we're looking back in nostalgia to back in the good old days when, when life was better. Or we're just disillusioned and, and ticked off because everybody else seems to have a better life than we do. And so we saw that Jesus offers us the best life, really. He offers us a life. If we would lay down our lives for him, we would lose our lives. We could keep our lives. We saw that the first week. And then we saw last week is that, you know, it's like you have to have the best home ever, you know, especially at Christmas. We got to make our, we got to decorate and, you know, nearly kill ourselves, decorating our outside of our houses and inside our houses. And everything has to look just right, especially for a Christmas party tell you this week i feel that one and then jesus says you know even though we seek home here we we really long for a sense of home we are not going to find home that we're looking for here in this world and and so jesus says "I, i i go to prepare a place for you in my father's house there's many rooms there's much room for everybody and i go to prepare a place for you there's a better home there's a true home for your heart and that we said last week, or we, we heard, they heard the C.S. Lewis quote that says, you know, that God gives us some pleasant ends along the way. But he would never, never uh, have us mistake those for true home. And so, yeah, we can have a nice home. We can have good times. There's good things in this world, but they're not our true home. Well, so best, best life, best home. Well, there's also best job. Right. You know, you see the post about the best job. You know, they got this great job. You look over and you see this guy and he's he's got it all together. And so the hashtag best job ever, you know, and some of us are thinking, if I could only get that career, if I could only land that job, then I'll make then I'll have arrived. Or, well, at least maybe one that pays well enough. Right. Um, Or um, or maybe it's. um, you know, it doesn't require too much of me. Or maybe you're stuck in a dead-end job, just trying to just stick it through. Or you're just working for the weekend. Or you're just working to finally retire. Then you can play golf and collect shells, right? But, so we're all tangled up in this best job thing. You know, and it doesn't help when people post on internet or whatever, like in their internet or their, their Christmas brag letter, how great their career is going and this, that, and the other. And so there's a sense. Let's just face it, though. Okay? Let's just face it. Like, work here in this world is hard, sometimes fruitless. It's a struggle. It's tough. 
You know, and, and try, and, and maybe you have a great career. Maybe things have gone really well for you. But just now, if, if you're a believer trying to, to come up with some kind of meaning and, and try to understand what it means to be a Christian and have, and, and have a job, and what does that look like in this world? It can be really tough. Well, here's, there's good news in all of this. Is that Jesus tells us there's a better job. He offers us the best job. But I'm going to say it this way. In a world full of dirty jobs, Jesus offers us the best job. <coughs> not, not just the best job, the dream job, right? That's what we want, the dream job. So in a world full of dirty, dirty jobs, Jesus offers us the, the dream job. And so in order to get there, first of all, we've got to ditch the dirty jobs. Got to ditch the dirty jobs. So let me just stop and say this, though. First of all, the Bible teaches from the very beginning that God created us as human beings to work. He put us in, he created man and woman, put them in the garden and said, I want you to rule over this, I want you to do it. And, and he wanted them to be the, his co-creators, naming the animals. And he wants, he, God created us to work. And I think when we, one day when the new heavens, the new earth comes, Jesus comes back, we, we're not just going to sit around in our lazy boy, <coughs> checking out. Okay, we're going to be working, but it's, it's going to be good work. It's going to be the kind of work we were created to do. Work that fulfills, work that satisfies, work that means something. However, we also know in the Bible that because of the fall, work is, is broken now. And we see that, you know, in, in the, so God put, creates man and woman, puts them in the garden, and there they are, and they rebel against God. And one of the judgments... We saw last week one of the judgments was that they were ousted from, from the garden. And you had the first homelessness. And ever since, we've been homeless and alienated, right? But there was another judgment, particularly to the man. And it tells him, look, um, Genesis chapter 3 with me. <coughs> it says, is that, is that there? Did the Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the fields. And by the sweet sweat of your faith you shall eat bread, and till, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and dust you shall return. And so, you see there, is that it's just a, a picture of the toil and the pain and the struggle, the sweat of our brow that work brings into our lives. Work is broken now. It's, we're falling. And so, all work, in some sense, becomes a dirty job. Now, what do I mean by dirty job? Okay, I'm, I'm kind of borrowing from the show. Y'all know the show with Mike Rao, Dirty Jobs? We love it. Why? Because we relate to some of that. You know? And some of it's just funny to watch this guy climb around like a septic tank or something, right? But, you know, and he, so he's, he's describing what he considers dirty jobs, dark jobs that most people don't want to do. It's, you know, I remember one, it was like, you know, pulling uh, big nightcrawler, biting nightcrawler worms out of mud or cleaning out septic tanks or, I mean, any number of unsightly, un -thing, un unnatural things that people have to do for jobs. But I don't know if that's exactly what a dirty job is. Because as a matter of fact, if you watch the show, a lot of times what you'll find is that some of these people who do some nasty jobs and have, they have to get dirty doing their job actually enjoy it. And actually find some joy in it. And there's kind of a flip on it right there, whatever. 
Well, I, I want to redefine dirty job. Because I believe a dirty job isn't just something that makes you dirty. Because I think, you know, farming gets you dirty. I mean, there's a lot of dirty things that really people can find some joy and fulfillment in this life. So I don't know if that necessarily makes it a dirty job. I think a dirty job is a job that leaves you fruitless, uh, pointless, unfulfilled. That's a dirty job in my mind. And so it makes, makes you think of, um, actually, the Greek, uh, Greek mythologists, or, you know, uh, they, they figured this out. They knew what it meant to have like a dirty job. And so there was Sisyphus who, who angered the gods. And it's his punishment that they, he was cursed for eternity to roll a big boulder up a hill only to watch it roll down again. And so again and again and again. And so his response to that was just to spite the gods that he was going to roll. He was going to really roll that up the hill. And he was going to make meaning out of rolling the hill up, roll this boulder up the hill just to watch it roll down again. That's a dirty job. And many of us know what that's like. You know, remember the old commercial? I mean, they were gonna, this is an age tester here. If you don't know this, you're really young. And, you know, if, if you know this, you're, you're, you're old. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but no, uh, there was the old commercial. Remember the Dunkin' Donuts commercial? The, the, guy, the old guy would go in to the, time to make the donuts. Come on, y'all know that one, right? Oh, I mean, it was this commercial. It was kind of... It was kind of a depressing commercial because he'd come in, time to make the donuts. And he'd come in the next day, time to make the donuts. You know? and it's like his, his whole existence was getting up early to make the donuts over and over and over again so a bunch of fat people can stuff them in their faces. Right? Like that's the point of a dirty job. Is there's no, there is no point. It's just it's rolling the boulder up the hill to watch it roll down again. So after the fall, here's the thing. We, we, there's something broken in what what work is and what a job or career should be. And so here's the thing. The reason is, is because we tend to not uh, follow a calling that God gives us. Instead, we take a job or a career because of potentially the money that it'll give us or the status or potentially the power or whatever. That's what we normally take a job for. It's, it's, we take a job not because we feel like God or some other, some other uh, meaning has given it to us. Instead, it, we do it for selfish reasons. And so we, we take our jobs, we take our careers primarily for our own selves. And that leaves us like Sisyphus just rolling the stone up, rolling the stone up, okay? And so here's the thing. Tim Keller and his really awesome book called uh, Every Good Endeavor. If you really want to explore this deeper, I would point you to this book. Really great book. But he talks about the difference between a vocation and a job. In a, in a job, you just take for your own selfish reasons. For the, you know, to work for the weekend is to pay the bills or to eventually retire and collect she sells or whatever. He says there's a difference between a vocation and a job. Because he says the vocation actually comes from the Latin word vocare, which is to, to call, to be called to something. And so the good question is, you know, are we just working jobs or, or are we working something we feel like we have a greater calling to? And he says this, pull up this quote for me, that Tim Keller quote. He says, a job is a vocation only if someone else calls you to it and you do it for them rather than yourself. 
Thinking of working as mainly as a means of self-fulfillment and self-realization slowly crushes the person and undermines society itself. And so we're working these dirty jobs and we're working them for ourselves. And we realize that our work here is fruitless and pointless and the struggle very often. And so, good news. Jesus, in this world of dirty jobs, offers us the best job. He offers us the dream job. So let's define the dream job. We need to be defining the dream job and trying to understand. And I'm not going to be able to answer and define this all today. Okay? But hopefully begin you guys thinking about what it looks like to define what Jesus would offer as a dream job. So what Jesus does here in this passage, he makes a remarkable statement. Notice what he said. But whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. Now, think about this statement. Think about what he has been doing. He has, been, uh, he has walked on water. He has healed the sick. He's healed a, a man born blind. He has raised a person from the dead, according to God's word, up to this point in John. He has done all these things. He's done many more of those things, I just said. And, and he's saying, greater whoever believes in me, that means everybody. If you believe in Jesus and you are a follower of Jesus, you're included in it. You will do greater works than he does. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know many personally. I don't know any Christians that have walked on water. And I, I, have, I don't know any fed 5,000 out of a few loaves and fish. I don't know any that have healed, healed anybody. I certainly haven't met anybody that has raised somebody from the dead. So what is he saying here? What is going on here? And this has been a really puzzling passage. Uh, commentators and, and pastors and scholars throughout time have struggled over what is he saying here? What, how can he, does this mean us? Who is, is he talking about here? Well, Jesus gives us a clue right here in this passage what he's getting at here. Okay? In verse 12, he says, they will do greater works than the works that I am doing or have done. Okay, because I go to the Father. Because I go to the Father. So Jesus says, our works will be greater than his because he is going to the Father. What does he mean going to the Father? This is the hours, this is the upper room discourse. This is the hours before he is going to go be uh, betrayed. He's going to go and he's going to be beaten, arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be hung on a cross. And he's going to die. And according to God's words, he'll be raised to life and he'll be exalted with God. And so his death, resurrection, and exaltation is what he's talking about. So he's going to, because I'm going to do that, you guys are going to do better, greater things than I have done. Okay, and so in other words, because of this, our future works will have greater significance than the works that Jesus performed here on earth. So think about it. Yes, Jesus did some amazing things, but he's saying it's, 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 you're going to be able to do things that are actually better than walking on water. There's going to, you're going to be able to do things that are actually better than raising somebody from the dead. Because here's the thing. Lazarus had to die again. Like I, That's a bummer. 
to me. I've always thought about that, you know? Because I was, well, always wondered, like, what's the difference between Lazarus' resurrection and then Jesus' resurrection and then the, dress, the general resurrection of the dead? Lazarus was just resuscitated. He was just made, a, he came back from the dead, but he was going to die again. Whereas the, the promise of the, real, of the resurrection in Jesus is that not only will we, we be raised to life, we will live in eternity with him right here. That's amazing. But poor Lazarus died and had to do it over again. Like, come on. Like, I, I, I don't want to die. I don't know about you guys. But I only want to do it once if I have to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to do it more than once, you know? <laughs> anyway, uh, it's like Princess Bride. He's nearly dead, you know? No. Okay. So, but, so our works in some si- will have a greater significance, a greater a meaning now, why? Because what Jesus has accomplished by going and dying on the cross and being raised to life. What does that mean? Jesus says the kingdom is coming. And he was ushering in the kingdom. And because he would come and he would die, reunite, and he, he was ushering in a new kingdom, a new covenant that would be ratified in which now his Holy Spirit would come and not just be with us and dwell us and give us power and significance. And so now this new age, this new end time age is actually already dawned now, even though it's not fully consummated. So, so in other words, so remarkable. Jesus tells us that Jesus tells us that every question will be quote. Don Carson says this well. He's a commentator, scholar. He says this. You got it for me? He says, This magnificent canvas must constantly be held before the eyes of every Christian witness. Our faith in Jesus does not thrust us into a struggle where we are alone, where the outcome is unsure, where the promised blessing is exclusively reserved for uh, the sweet by and by. Quite the contrary. Our faith in Jesus thrusts us into a struggle in which the decisive battle has already been won, in which the promised eschatological end time blessing has already dawned. That's what Jesus is saying here. And so he's saying to us that every good thing, that we're, the things that we can do now, even, even the most mundane of activities, because of Jesus, can now have greater significance and power than, he, than the things that he did. The things that we read in Scripture, the amazing things that he did. That's remarkable, isn't it? And so he's saying, I've got a dream job for you. I've got the best possible job for you. Okay? And, and in other words, so we know that the things that we do in this world, even if it's what Mike Rao might be called a dirty job, you know, some, some, some of the mamas in here think maybe their job might be a little dirty sometimes, and it can be, right? Um, whatever your job or your profession, whatever you're doing in this world, uh, the reality is, because of the resurrection, Paul tells us this, that our labor will not be in vain. In Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. And so, so think about this. This then redefines all that we do. Everything we do in this world re- is, becomes redefined. So a job stops being just a way to make money or to find self-fulfillment or status or power or whatever. It becomes the work of God. We, become, we begin to contribute with the work of God. And there's a lot of ways to think about that. And we can't get into all that right now. 
But it could be the Lutheran thought on that, which is that, that because we contribute in this world, we're like God, we're the finger of God, as they would say, helping feed people, helping this world move forward. Or, or the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Calvin's version of it would be that, that we are to be living and working and making and structuring society with a Christian worldview, whatever. But whatever it is, now, however we come at it, it's everything that we do now, even the dirtiest job takes on new significance and power. It, re- re- it, it redefines how we look at everything we do. And so like uh, Colossians 3.17, he says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father through Him. So everything we do begins to be redefined. So let me explain how this can help. I'll try to help you all think. How redefining and how we put meaning into what we do or don't do is important. Uh, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Alistair McIntyre in a book on ethics. Um, he had a really great illustration. He talked about, he said, what if you were on the corner one day, in a busy corner, waiting for a bus to come, and this guy comes up to you out of nowhere and tells you the Latin name, which I'm not going to try to pronounce right now, the Latin, Latin name for the duckbill platypus. And you're just like, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, and so of course, so if that happened to you, you would think, You'd have to begin to come up with reasons why this guy came up to you and told you the, the Latin name for Dugville Platypus, right? And so think about the different types of meaning that you could supply to that. Or perhaps, maybe, somebody that looks a lot like you was there the day before and asked this guy, what is the Latin uh, name for Dugville Platypus? And... He's like, I don't know, I'll tell you tomorrow. And he comes up and he thinks you're that other guy or that other lady and get, tells you the name. Or maybe the guy's clinically insane and is out of his mind and he <clears throat> goes around telling people weird things. Or maybe he's an international terrorist who has a plot to end the world. And that's a code name. And he's trying to make, connect with another terrorist so they can fulfill their plot. So which is it? And, and which, mean, which meaning you give might de- determine what you do. In the first success, you might not do anything. Just, okay, thanks for the info. Second one, you might call the, you know, the state mental health department and report him so he won't be a danger to himself or anyone else. Or... Maybe you jump on the guy and choke him out or kill him to stop this terrorist plot. Do you follow where I'm getting at this now? The meaning we put into our careers, our jobs, and what we do in this world makes a huge difference. And Jesus is saying that, listen, because of what I've done, what I've done by my death, resurrection, the fact that I stand up. At the right hand of the Father, I have sent the Holy Spirit. I have given you the ability to do great things. And the best thing that you can do is point people to me and to the Father's glory. And that your life will be about what I'm doing. And so, how do you get a job like that? How, okay, so I'm, I, I'm using D words. So how do you don? How do we, how do we go about donning? 
the dream job? How do we take it on? You know, to don something is to take it on, to put it on. It's a word we all use at Christmas in a song or two, right? Okay? But Jesus said, listen, first of all, we first, we take this job simply by believing and trusting in Him. Period. Whoever believes, He says, every one of us, it takes this job on. Okay? It's, it is not, so here's the thing. It's not just in people with uh, positions of power, of leadership, like pastors, elders, or ministry deacons. Okay? It doesn't, you don't have to be a priest. You don't have to be a, a missionary. You don't have to do anything like that. You don't have to be on a stage. You don't have to be in smoke and lights. You don't have to be anything like that. Okay? You simply have to believe and follow Jesus. And he tells you your works will be greater than his. Okay? So that's number one. Secondly, we pray aligning ourselves with his, with his, excuse me, his purposes. But look with me in verses 13 and 14. He says, and I will do... Whatever you ask in my name, so that the, son, the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, here's a verse that has been so misused and abused that it's, it's hard to even use this verse anymore. Because name it, claim it type uh, preachers and whatever would say, See, if you, whatever you want, you can have. If you pray hard enough, have enough faith, and give us a little money at the church, then God will give you everything you want. See, he's right here. And that's not what Jesus is saying here, is it? <laughs> not at all. Okay? What he's saying is Jesus tells that whatever we ask for, he will do it. Okay? Um, Jesus, here's the thing. Jesus qualifies this with two, in two ways. First of all, he says, anything you ask in my name. In other words, in, other words, in, in, in light of what I am, what I have done, according to what I'm trying to do in my purposes. But then he also says, uh, so that, so the purpose of our asking would that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Okay, so there's two things here. One, it's pray. We, we have, in order to, to see this happen, we, we's got, we're going to have to be asking God to help us do it. It's so hard to do this. Secondly, it is aligning ourselves with His purposes. Okay, so that God would be glorified. Okay, that in, in other words, the, 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 the very purpose and the reason Jesus came to this earth was what? To glorify God. How? By living a life of sacrifice, that he would die for our sins, that we might come to know him. So, in the same manner, our lives are to point others to Jesus. And another reason, another way you know this is in chapter 11. Actually, not chapter 11. Verse 11, he says, you believe in me because of the works that I do. So what are the works that he does? Certainly there was walking on water and some of those other things. But in general, probably the basic idea there that the works that we do would, would cause people and point people to believe and trust in Jesus. That is the best thing that they could have. So if you want to know, is, is my career and what, how I'm living my life, how I'm going through my day to day, is it pointing people to God's glory and is it pointing people to believe in Jesus? And so it really begins to shape the purpose. You may hate your job. That's okay. Because you're going to a job you hate is, is saying to people, I believe that whatever, I believe God is in charge and whatever he has for me is best. And he's put me here for a reason. Okay? And so you're there for a reason. 
God has you right where he wants you is where you are. So our job, our calling is also to to do the works like that Jesus did. So so not, not like in the same manner. You know what I'm saying with that? So how did Jesus do the works that he did? He did it for others. He did it giving himself away. So thirdly is that we would live our lives pointing to others to Jesus and giving our lives away and living them for other people. Okay? And that means every part of our lives. So Jesus says our works will be greater than his. Okay? Those works are Jesus is pointing people to Jesus. And he says, like in, John, in chapter, verse 15, that, that we would keep his commands. If we love him, we would keep his commandments. What was his commandments? There's one new commandment I give you, that you would love one another. And so that our jobs no longer function to serve ourselves, no longer function to, for our own status, our own positions, our own fulfillment, or whatever, but that God calls us to do what we're doing. And I'm not just talking about a job. And maybe God's called you to be at home with your children, or wherever He's put you. It's there, you're there to not just serve yourself, but to serve others and to be a light in, that, those, in those areas. So, and, those, and all this is to be done in every arena of our lives. We are called to redeem every part of our lives so that they point others to the glory of Jesus. And so what does that look like? So it's a couple of practical things real quick. What does it look like in your job? First of all, working not for ourselves, but for others. It's working in the joy of Christ, not for identity, status, or position. It's working in integrity, in honesty, with excellence. Now, there's a lot more there. Uh, I would point you to Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor, because he gets deep, as you can imagine. He does. And he's really good on it. Um, but he also, in that book, points to a story. It's a curious, kind of a weird little allegory that uh, uh, J.R. Tolkien, uh, the, the writer of The Lord of the Rings, uh, wrote. As a matter of fact, as he was writing and trying to finish the Lord of the Rings, he tells this, he writes this story which reflects some of his own frustrations of trying to finish a project that was massive and just in such profound, has been loved by everyone since. It's probably one of the uh, best-selling books in the, in the world. Well, he tells a story of an artist named Niggle. And Niggle is an artist in a society that really doesn't appreciate art. <coughs> And so Nigel decides that he wants to create the greatest masterpiece that the world has ever seen. And in so doing, people will recognize art and they'll recognize him and in everybody, it'll be great. And his life will have great meaning. And so Nigel gets to work and his, his art would be this tree painted in this uh, beautiful forest. And the problem though, is that Nigel Two things. First of all, Nigel had a this really, um, he really struggled just, he was just so caught up in small details. And so Nigel would, would just spend hours and hours working on just one leaf. Another problem that Nigel had 
was that he was constantly distracted by his neighbors and people that he knew and family members who would come and they would have uh, personal needs and, and things that he and he would he would offer himself out and he would help them and serve them and, and do these things. Another problem Nagel had, and, and as a matter of fact, everybody has, is that one day he would have to take the great journey. The great journey, as you may know, was death. Well, the day came. The day came. The bus driver came to take him on the great journey. And, and Nigel wasn't ready. Because his, this masterpiece he'd been working on his whole life, he had only accomplished a rough outline and had worked beautifully on only one leaf. Well, he had to go. And he, he went on the journey. And his masterpiece was mostly cut into pieces and used to patch some roofs and other things. That one leaf, though, was cut out. And, and, and because it was so beautiful, some people put it in the back of the museum. Well, when Nigel on, came to the end of his final journey to the heavenly lands, he steps off the bus to see, lo and behold, the tree. The very tree he had imagined. The very tree he had hoped to paint and to depict in this world. It was only a tree in his imagination because he had only succeeded to paint one little leaf of it. And, and not only was it the tree, but the whole background was just, it was even greater than he had ever imagined. And, like, and he says to himself, it's a gift. God's mercy. And, the great thing, and he steps, into, steps towards that tree and he notices that each of those leaves are actually those things, those sacrifices, those distractions that he thought were the times that he gave himself away and he served and loved others and he gave himself away and had in turn painted this beautiful masterpiece, this real tree of his dreams. And that's a cool picture because while he thought he was trying to create this masterpiece on a canvas, Instead, the masterpiece he had created was his willingness to give himself away, his willingness to serve others, his willingness to point others to a better place. And that's what Jesus calls us to here. And so if you're, you're not a believer this morning and you haven't received that, let me tell you, it is a free gift. He says, if you, anyone who would believe in me, whoever would believe in me, will not perish, have everlasting life. And I'll give you the right to become sons and daughters of God. And here's the cool thing. If you believe, you have the best job. You have the dream job. Now, those of us who believe, this begins to ask, we didn't really ask questions about our careers, about our jobs, about our professions, about what we're doing here. So God is not calling us to dump our jobs. And, well, he may. He may call you to dump your job and go to be a missionary or do something like that. That's, and that's a call. But there's a good chance God has called you right where you are. And he wants you there. And he wants you to, to work that job, to live in that job in a way that would bring him glory. And not doing it for yourself. And so is your job, is it a calling? Is it really a vocation? Or are you just working for the weekend, working for retirement? Or are you just grumbling and, and just, you know, you know, grumpy through your whole job? Where are you in there? Or maybe you're retired. 
and you're not working anymore regularly, where is God calling you to in that? Where is he leading you in that? And so the biggest question here is, are we working the best job? God gives us, in Christ, the dream job. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your glory. Thank you so much for um, the gift of uh, a true vocation, a calling that you've given us to bless and serve others, to love others through uh, sometimes sacrifice, through sharing. Uh, Lord, that we would point others to you, that they might one day step into heaven and seeing that beautiful tree that you've gifted to them. And so, Lord, I pray also that, that, it, that as we work in our mundane, sometimes dirty jobs, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see there is nothing insignificant or dirty about working for your glory in this world, pointing others to your love and your grace. And so, Lord, I pray, give us that call and give us a passion for that. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.